50 this morning. And as you've probably experienced in your own personal reading of the Bible, his gospel is very different from that of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we want to see that this morning and then get that sense of where he's going. And so uh, let's actually just pray as we get rolling into God's word. Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, God, that um, we've just been on a journey as a church all these years. Lots of these folks have been here the entire time, Lord, that we've been working through the New Testament, and it's so good to come to John's gospel. You ever kind of wonder why there's four gospels? Like, maybe sometimes you wonder that. You're like, okay, like, how many times does certain stories have to be retold in, in the scripture? But it's interesting, as you spend time in the gospels, you come to know that each of them brings the personal experience, the personal uh, impression of, of a different apostle, and it gives us different ways of presenting Jesus, different angles for showing Jesus to people and his person and his message. If you look at Mark's gospel, we know that the source of Mark's gospel was the apostle Peter. So Mark recorded what Peter told him, and, and Mark's gospel, when you look at it, it's like a quick, compact, short gospel message. It's, it's believed, scholars totally believe that Mark is the first gospel that was written of the four. And then Matthew and Luke come along and they were probably written just two or three years later after the gospel of Mark. And um, they follow the, the kind of general outline that Mark used as, as he told the life and story of Jesus. The difference being is that Mark focused on what Jesus did. If you read his gospel, he focuses on the works of Jesus, the things that Jesus did. Then Matthew does this. Matthew focuses on what Jesus said. He tells the same stories, but then he focuses on what Jesus said and specifically what he said to Jews. Then Luke's gospel does this. Again, Mark says, this is what Jesus did. Matthew says, this is what Jesus said to the Jews. Luke tells the same stories again, and then he says, this is what Jesus said to the Gentiles. So he takes, he takes another twist on it. And, and in each of the four gospels, a theme emerges, a picture of Jesus that is different and yet is supported by each of the four. Mark tells us and focuses on the fact that Jesus was called the son of man. Matthew, as, as you might remember, focuses on the fact that Jesus is the king and the kingdom of heaven. He's the king of the Jews. Luke's gospel focuses on the fact that Jesus is the savior of the world. Hence, he sp- focuses on, on Jesus' communication with the Gentiles. But when you come to the gospel of John, and especially the more you know your Bible and the more familiar you get with the Bible, you get this sense that there is something really different about John's gospel. It's got this whole different feel to it, this different cadence, this different just sense to it. It just it feels different. And John's gospel was actually written way later than the other three, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Towards the end of John's life. And, and John is interested not in what Jesus did or not in what Jesus said, but John is interested in who Jesus was. He wants us to see who Jesus was. Who was he? The real person. You know, John's gospel has this feel to it that, that as you read it, you're like, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty close to Jesus here. I'm getting closer to him, and it's, it's more intimate, and it's, it's not just about what he did or about what he said, but about who he was. 
And so if you want to get close to Jesus, do you want to get close to Jesus? Yeah. John's gospel is a great place to go when you want to get close to Jesus. And so that's where I'm like, wow, sweet Lord, I'm excited about what you have for our church because we want, I just heard it, we want to get close to Jesus. And that's the purpose of his gospel. You read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they fit together really, really nice. Like there's repetition and kind of the retelling of stories. And scholars actually call those three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they call them the synoptic gospels, meaning they're a synopsis of Jesus' life. They all follow the same pattern. They get this sense of, you know, his childhood a bit, his growing up, the beginning of his ministry, the calling of the disciples, all that, all that sort of stuff. And each of them follows this comprehensive pattern of an, an overview synopsis of Jesus' life. I, I was thinking about Matthew, Mark, and Luke are kind of like Gibson's, Seashell, and Madeira Park. <laughs> If, if you go to Seashell, you know it's different than Gibson's. Or if you go to Madeira, you know that it's different than Seashell. But you're still like, I'm on the Sunshine Coast. This is like familiar, and there's something familiar about this. John's Gospel is like a trip into Vancouver. You, you know, it's like, okay, I'm not at home. This is not the Sunshine Coast. This is different, okay? So in your heads, it's like just a good picture for you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Gibson's, Seashell, Madeira. John is Vancouver, okay? Here's some examples of that. John leaves out information that's really important to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't tell us anything about the birth narrative of Jesus. Nothing about immaculate conception, angels, Mary, Joseph, zero, zilch, nothing. John tells us nothing about the baptism of Jesus. John tells us nothing about the transfiguration of Jesus. John doesn't record a single account of Jesus casting out any demons. John doesn't tell us anything about the Last Supper. John doesn't tell us about uh, the, the agonizing prayer that Jesus was under in the Garden of Gethsemane. John doesn't tell us about Jesus' ascension into heaven from the Mount of Olives. Like, you just fire out those few things and you're like, wow, that's kind of strange, isn't it? As you think about it, it's like, what? He leaves out... All of that information? Yeah, he does. In fact, in John's gospel, John only mentions the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven twice. He tells, he tells the story of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, where Jesus tells Nicodemus that unless a man is born again, he'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's, the, that's one time. And the second time is in Jesus' conversation with Pilate when Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. That's the only times in John's gospel the kingdom of heaven is mentioned. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are like totally ripe with the stories of miracles and signs that Jesus performed and did. John tells only seven. Only seven and five of them are totally new. We don't read about five of them in the other gospels. Now, does that mean for John, like if we think of the kingdom of heaven or miracles, does that mean that those things aren't important to him? He doesn't care about miracles. He doesn't care about the kingdom of heaven. N no, it just means this, that John is writing his gospel for a very different purpose than what Matthew, Mark, and Luke were doing. John actually records way more uh, in his gospel, then the other gospels, Jesus' instruction regarding the nature and the person of the Holy Spirit. John spends a lot of time on that. 
he, he wants the reader to know about the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because, because the purpose of the Holy Spirit, what's, it, what's his ministry? His ministry is this, is to make Jesus known, to convict the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come, to draw people to Jesus. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, hence, we're going to see that John's purpose was that we would believe in Jesus. So it's important that he focuses on the ministry of the Holy Spirit because that's the job of the Holy Spirit to lead us to belief in Christ. So when we talk about the purpose and function of John's gospel, well, what's important to John? It's important for us, the reader, to discover who Jesus is. So let's try and get a sense of this gospel and its purpose. And as we begin to dive in, um, what you need to do is turn to John chapter 20. If you're not there, it's going to come up on the screen. I'm sorry, the font's a little bit small this morning. And uh, John clearly states what he is seeking to accomplish in his account of the gospel in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. I'm going to read them to you and you can follow along in your Bibles. It says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is John's stated purpose. This is what he's, he's seeking to accomplish in his gospel. And when you read that verse, you can come to some really simple, immediate conclusions. First one would be this. Jesus did lots of things that John doesn't record. Lots of signs that he doesn't tell us about. But the ones that he does tell us about are in there for a very specific, definite purpose. I mean, you think about John, no doubt John had tons of information about Jesus. John had tons of personal testimonies and stories that he could tell about Jesus as to what he saw Jesus do. You know, if you think about John, it's probably fair to say that the apostle John was Jesus' closest friend. Stop and think about that for a second. You think about Jesus as having friends. You know, I think of Jesus as being a friend to me, but sometimes I forget Jesus needed friends. And John was Jesus' closest friend. We know that from the gospel accounts. That he was in the, in the 12, and then he was in the inner circle of the three, and then he was the one that had a special relationship with Jesus. At the Last Supper, we know it was John who was leaning against Jesus, actually resting his head on Jesus' chest as they were reclining around the table. When Peter was going through his denial experience outside the house of Caiaphas, John was the only one, the others had all fled, John was the only one who had made his way into the home of the high priest and was right there witnessing everything going on. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, who did he entrust the care of his mother to? To John. I mean, you just think if that's you, if it's like, I, I need someone to care for my aging mother, who would you pick? You'd pick your most closest trusted friend. Jesus picked John. I mean, we could say Jesus knew John and John knew Jesus and obviously John knew way more about Jesus than what he tells us here in, in his gospel. But what he did write, what he does tell us, 
he gives for a very specific intended purpose. So, so this morning what we're going to do is get this big picture look of John's gospel and we're going to take some time to consider what John tells us, big picture wise, about Jesus. And there are three very specific ways John tells us about Jesus. And you should catch this. Because in your quiet time, as you're going through John in the next number of months, you want to spot this. Certain ways John tells us about Jesus. The first is this, through witnesses. The second, through personal statements Jesus made regarding himself. And the third is through miracles. Or the word that John uses for miracles is signs. Through signs. Here's how John calculated sticking to his express purpose. His purpose, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John does this. John records the witness of the testimony of seven witnesses. He records seven personal statements that Jesus made about himself, and he gives us seven signs that Jesus performed. It's kind of interesting because biblically, seven's the number of what? Perfection. And John gives three sets of seven. Three's the number of the Trinity, right? Three sets of perfection. Number three represents our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And John uses three sets of seven to demonstrate who Jesus is. And my understanding just in my prep is that in, in the mind of the reader in, in ancient times who's reading in the original language, John's structure is super clear and super evident. It's lost in translation to English. We, we lose the structure and the framework that he gives as he communicates these things. And so we want to have that as we, as we move through John's writing 2,000 years later. And so what I want to do this morning is quickly walk through the three sets of seven seven witnesses, seven personal statements Jesus made about himself, and seven signs that John tells us. When we speak of the seven witnesses, John used a very specific word in the original language that we translate to English as, as witness. And John uses the word witness in his gospel more than the other three gospels combined. Uh, the word is, I don't know how to say them, but the word is martyrio. To be a witness, it means to bear witness, to affirm what one has heard or seen or experienced because you know it or because you've been taught it by divine relationship, uh, relationship or revelation. And, and to be this witness means to give a testimony about something that you know and to not hold it back. There's nothing held back in the testimony of these witnesses. That's why John, John uses this specific word. Nothing is being held back in what they declared about Jesus. John actually tells you a lot of stories. You're going to see this as we go through it. John tells lots of stories about individuals and their experiences with Jesus. Like think about it. I'll list a few. Nicodemus. Do we see Nicodemus in the other gospels? Personal conversation with Jesus. Or how about the woman at the well? That's unique to John's gospel and it's a very personal conversation with that woman. Or how about the woman caught in adultery? John brings us into a personal conversation that Jesus had with that woman. Or how about Mary Magdalene at the tomb? 
John brings us into the personal conversation of Mary Magdalene with Jesus at the tomb. Or how about Peter's initial refusal to have Jesus wash his feet at that meal at the Last Supper? John's gospel has more one-on-one conversations. Even what John tells us about John the Baptist are not things that John publicly declared about Jesus, but things John said about Jesus in personal conversations. And so personal people, people and their stories matter to John. And so he gives us seven witnesses who testify as to who Jesus is. The first is John the Baptist. All the scripture references are on the screen. You can write them down if you want. John said this about Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist identified that Jesus was the ultimate sacrificial lamb that would give his life for the sins of the world. John gave witness to the fact that Jesus was the fulfillment of Passover. John John bore witness of Jesus and he said, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John bore witness. He saw it happen. I mean, it's not very often in the scriptures that we see the Spirit of God physically manifest in some form that he can be seen with human eye. Wish that could happen this morning. That'd be pretty awesome. But he's here. He's present. But John physically saw the Spirit descend upon Jesus in the form of a dove and rest on him. And the Lord had told him, the man upon whom you see that happen, that is the Christ, that is the Messiah, that is the identifying marker of the Son of God. And so John bore witness. He said, Jesus is the Son of God. He didn't say a Son of God, small s. He said, the capital S, Son of God. In fact, the Son of God is a name for Jesus. It's a title that describes his position in relationship to God. He is a manifestation of God in human form. That's what John said. Nathaniel gave witness to the same thing in chapter 1 of John, verse 49. When Philip invited Nathaniel, he said, he said to Nathaniel, come and Meet Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel gave that line that we just all love. He said to Philip, what? Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And as Nathaniel was making his way to Jesus, coming towards him, Jesus said of him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel replied and said, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I I wonder, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out. Because I just think that there was something going on with Nathaniel. And Jesus knew the details, what was going on in Nathaniel's head and heart as he sat under that fig tree. Nathaniel knew that Jesus knew whatever it was. And when Jesus said that to Nathaniel, he, he answered him and said, Rabbi... 
you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And so Nathanael gave witness to the fact that Jesus was the son of God, king of Israel. King of Israel is a title that identifies that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant with David, a descendant who would rule on his throne forever. In John 6, we read about the reaction of the crowd when, when they heard that Jesus uh, taught this, that you must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Jesus said to the crowd, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And the scripture tells us that the crowd did not understand what Jesus was saying. They began to grumble against him. Many, many of the disciples, not the 12, but other disciples that were there began to turn their back on him and no longer walk with him. That's what John tells us. So Jesus turned to the 12 and he said this to the 12. Do you want to go away as well? To which Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter's the third witness that John gives us. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He says, we believe and we have come to know you are the Holy One of God. And so Peter's witness regarding Jesus was this. We believe, we know. You're the Son of God. You're the Holy One of God. Or there's the witness of Martha. She's the fourth witness John gives us. On the way to the tomb of Lazarus, you know the story, Martha ran out to meet Jesus. She said to him, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus said to Martha, he said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God who has come into the world. That's the witness of Martha. I believe, Jesus, you're the Christ. I believe you're the son of God who has come into the world. Or there's the witness of Thomas. He's the fifth witness that John gives us. After the crucifixion and burial of Jesus, three days later, some disciples and we're reporting that Jesus had been raised from the dead. There were rumors floating around the, the city. Some were even claiming that they had seen the risen Jesus. But Thomas said this, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers in the mark of those nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. And John tells us that it was eight days later. The disciples were locked up in a room. They were hiding in fear of, of the Jews. And Jesus appeared in their midst, though the doors were locked, and he said to them, peace be with you. And then he turned specifically to Thomas, and he said, put your finger in my side. Put your hand in my side. Put your finger in, in the nail holes. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And when that happened for Thomas, Thomas gave this witness. He said, my Lord and my God. 
That was the witness of Thomas, that Jesus is both Lord and God. Then there's the witness of John himself, the Apostle John, uh, right from the verses that we're kind of using as our launch pad this morning, John 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's personal testimony was this. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. When you put your faith in Jesus, you will experience life. The seventh witness that John used was Jesus himself. And Jesus' witness regarding himself is kind of interspersed throughout John's gospel. You know, just, I'll just pick a few this morning. I'll give you three quick ones, okay? Uh, John 5, 18, John chapter 8, and John chapter 18. To pick a few where it's clearly identified that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In John chapter 5, it says this in verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath in their mind, But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus testified that he himself was equal with God. That's what John chapter 5 tells us. In John chapter 8, Jesus told the Jews that Abraham rejoiced at seeing his day. And they pressed him on this. Said, you're not 50 years old. How could you have seen Abraham? And he said to them... Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Whoa, man. (laughs) You know, we read that as little English readers. We don't get it. I'm telling you, we do not get it. They were not messing around. When Jesus said that, the scripture says they picked up stones and sought to stone him right there. There was no question in their minds, in their culture, what Jesus was declaring when he said, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. I am, like, I'm grabbing one, but this is the third time, this is one out of three times in John chapter 8 that Jesus says, I am. And the ancient Greek term is ego emi which was the same term that is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's it's the name that is used to describe the voice that Moses met at the burning bush. I am that I am. And in using that phrase, I am, Jesus was using a title that clearly belonged to Yahweh. I mean, the Jews would not even say that They wouldn't say that name. They wouldn't say it. It wouldn't come off their lips. They used the word Elohim because they were fearful to even speak the name of God. And Jesus applied that to himself, that very name of God. And it was interpreted as such by those who were listening to him. They recognized he was using the the title of Yahweh that defined his deity. And they picked up stones to kill him. Or how about in the Garden of Gethsemane, John tells us that when the soldiers and some of the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees came with their lanterns and their torches 
and, and their weapons to arrest Jesus in the garden. Jesus knew what was going on, and as they came to, towards him in the darkness, he asked them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And John tells us that Jesus said to them, I am. And when he said it, the scripture tells us they drew back and they fell to the ground. I don't know about you, but I've never fallen to the ground for the words of anybody. But they fell to the ground when Jesus said, I am. So he asked them again. That's what John tells us. Who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he told them, I am. So Jesus clearly used a divine title that belonged to Yahweh and he applied it to himself. So seven witnesses John gives us to tell us that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he is God in the flesh, that he is Yahweh. John also gives seven personal statements that Jesus made regarding himself and these, se these seven statements only occur in John's gospel. You, you, you know them and they're familiar to you. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Bread's the food that, it's the most basic food we need to live. And, and what's Jesus saying? He's saying, I, I claim to be the true source of life. I'm the true source of life. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. In contrast to darkness, Jesus claimed that he was the source of spiritual illumination, that he was the true source of spiritual sight. That he himself was the true source that would allow us to see and to live in light as opposed to living in, in the dark, in blindness and darkness. John chapter 10, Jesus said, I'm the door for the sheep. I am the door for the sheep. He claimed that he was the point of entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That he kept out those who did not belong in and he welcomed in the sheep of the kingdom. In John chapter 10, Jesus also said, I am the good shepherd. As opposed to a bad shepherd, Jesus claimed, put the welfare of my sheep first. I tend to them. I care for them. I look after them. I'm looking for the lost. I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11 to Martha, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He made this claim. I'm the one who will raise the dead. Life is in me. I bring the dead back to life. With him was the authority he claimed. With him was the authority to give life and to restore life. John chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I'm the course, I'm the path, I am the road that you must travel if you want to come to heaven. I am the path that you have to take to reach heaven. He said that he was the truth he was saying truth can be known, that truth is found in him, a person. He was claiming that he was reality and that he had to be accepted as such. I am the way, the truth, and the light. In John 15, he said, I am the true vine. He claimed to be the source that would sustain us. 
He claimed to be the source that would nourish us, the source that would make us fruitful in comparison to the unfruitful dead life. We're to abide in him. And it's amazing when you look at these statements, I am the I am, I am, I am, I am, seven times, Jesus invokes in these statements the divine name and then he makes the application to himself. I am. Clear claims that Jesus was applying to himself the divine name that belonged to Yahweh alone. So John gives us seven personal statements of Jesus, but he also gives us seven miracles that Jesus performed. And John actually uses a different word for miracles. He calls them signs. Remember we talked about signs about three weeks ago on a Sunday morning, the signs of Jesus' birth and how to identify that little baby. A sign always points to something beyond itself. So John, in John's record of the miracle, he doesn't call it a miracle, but he calls it a sign because he says this miracle, though it's amazing in of, of itself, it's pointing to something else and you need to understand what it's pointing to. These are signs, seven signs. And like I mentioned, only two of them are repeated from the other gospels. The two are, that are repeated are Jesus walking on water and Jesus feeding the 5,000, and then John gives us five miracles that are totally new that we don't read about elsewhere. The first one's the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed. He changed water into wine. Water into wine in, in John chapter two. That's the first miracle. Instantaneously, he changed water into wine. Now, if you just stop and think about the process of taking water to wine, that's like a long process. Because first of all, grapes have to grow, which takes like a season of growing, months. And then there's the whole process of taking those grapes and fermenting them and turning them into wine. But Jesus did this. He took water and instantly he turned it into wine. And the master of the feast came, you know the story. And he said, everybody serves the best wine first. And then when the guests have had too much to drink, then they serve the cheap wine. But here, what have you done? You saved the very best till last. Which speaks to the quality of what Jesus made. And so when John talks about this sign, he wants us to understand when Jesus puts his hand to something, what comes out of it is quality. That he's the master of quality. Whatever he makes is not just good, it's the best. What he makes is the best, the best of the best. He's the master over quality. John chapter 4, Jesus, or John tells us about Jesus healing an official son. The story tells us that this official came to where Jesus was in Cana of Galilee. And he said, my son is at home sick. Please come with me to my home and heal my son. The son was at home in Capernaum. Cana to Capernaum was a distance of 25 kilometers. So he's saying, Jesus, please come, make this journey with me, touch my son, and heal my son. And Jesus told the man, go, go ahead, you can, you can make your way home, go on your way because your son is healed. So the man, the story tells us, believed God, believed Jesus, he went on his way and he got home, and when he got home, his son was well. He put the story together with the servants in his household, and, and they said, man, the time when your son was 
became wellness right at the same time when you were 25 kilometers away with Jesus and he said, go. And this was a sign that tells us that distance is no obstacle for Jesus. 25 kilometers is nothing for Jesus. He's the... He is, he is the master over distance, over space. John 5, John tells us about Jesus healing a man at the pool of Bethsaida on the Sabbath, a man who had been crippled for 38 years. 38 years and instantly when Jesus says so, this man is set free from, from the pain and disease that he's been subject to for all those years. And it's a sign. It's a sign telling us that time and history are no obstacle for Jesus. He's the master over time and he is the master over history. 38 years, nothing. You suffer all these years, I can take care of it like that. John chapter 6 John tells us about the feeding of the 5,000, that Jesus took five loaves of bread and a few small fish and he multiplied it and fed a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children. And it's a sign. And the sign tells us this, that was with Jesus, there's no such thing as not enough. With, no Jesus, with, without, with Jesus, there is no such thing as lack. It's a sign telling us that Jesus is the master of quantity, his ability to to supply with him. Uh, There is no lack in resources or an ability to supply. Nothing is impossible with him. John tells us later in that same chapter that Jesus walked on the water. And you you know that story and it's... It's crazy because we know walking on the water is impossible. That that goes against natural law. It goes against the laws of nature and the function of this world. But Jesus walked on the water. Jesus did that which was impossible. And it's a sign telling us that Jesus is the master over nature. That he is master over the laws of nature. The laws of nature, you think about nature and all we hear about this world, I'm telling you, the laws of nature bow their knee to Jesus. He's master over it. John chapter 6, or sorry, chapter 9, John tells us of a sixth, sixth miracle, a man who was born blind. Born blind, he'd never seen light of day. Never seen his mother and father. Never seen anything in this world. And the story is very clear in John 9 that that nothing that this man nor his parents had done had been the source of his blindness. He was just simply born that way. It was just, I don't know, we'd call it bad luck, misfortune. Unexplainable. It's just how it was. He was born blind. But Jesus healed him. It's a sign. It's a sign that tells us that Jesus can take the things that we can't explain. We have no explanation for it. We say it's bad luck, or it's misfortune, or it's, it's an unexplainable problem, and Jesus can take it and turn it to good like that. You think about all the things in your life you can't explain. 
I don't know why that happened. I don't know why that happened. And Jesus tells his disciples, he said, this happened so that God would be glorified. He brings order to it. And it's a sign telling us that Jesus is the master over even the things that we would say are unexplainable, that they're misfortunes, they're problems. The seventh sign John gives in his gospel is that of Lazarus being raised from the dead. It's in John chapter 11. Lazarus, you know the story too, had been in the tomb for days. His body was rotting. It was decomposition already. It already kicked in. They said, don't open the tomb. There's a smell. He's been in there for four days already. Decay had set into his lifeless flesh, and yet with a word, Jesus raised him from the dead. That's where John, that's where the, the, the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead is different from the other resurrections that Jesus performed with dead people. Because this guy's already buried, rotting, and yet Jesus brought him to life. And it was a sign telling us that Jesus is the master over life and death. And so we have these seven witnesses that John gives us. We have seven personal statements that Jesus makes about himself. And we have seven signs. And, and, and John weaves around these different stories, personal encounters of people with Jesus. The woman at the well. The woman caught in adultery. Mary Magdalene. An encounter with Peter. The Pharisees. And every time someone is met in the story, they're faced with a choice. Will you believe or will you not believe? And as we go through, we'll, we'll see people who believe and we'll see those who refuse to believe. We'll see Jesus in conflict. Well, actually, Jesus isn't in conflict. Anyone who comes to him is in conflict because they have to make a choice. They have to make a decision. Will they believe? Will it be life or death? Will, death? will it be light or darkness? Will it be truth or lies? Will it be freedom or slavery? Will it be love or wrath? Again, look with me at John chapter 20, verse 30 and, one, 30, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You know, as John pulls this together, all these, all these accounts, there's two key things that have to result for the reader. The first one is this, that they would believe, and the second one is a result of that belief that they would experience life in Jesus. That's John's stated purpose, that you would believe. That you would believe what? That you would believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. When we talk about believing in Jesus, it, it means this. That you acknowledge, that you acknowledge what the witnesses said about him is true. That you acknowledge what Jesus said about himself, the personal statements he said about himself, you acknowledge it's true. 
To believe means this, that you acknowledge that those miraculous signs and what they point to are actually true. To believe means you acknowledge Jesus is the bread of life. You acknowledge Jesus is the light of the world, that he's the door, that he's the good shepherd, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the resurrection and the life, that you acknowledge that he is the true vine. When we talk about believing, it means that we acknowledge the realities to which the signs pointed. The signs tell us that Jesus is the master over quantity and supply. That he is good. That he makes the best of the best. That he's the master over distance. That he's the master over time and history. That he has the ability to supply. That he is uh, the master over things that we can't explain. He can raise the dead. That he can bring life to the dead. That he is the master over the laws of nature. Time and history and the list goes on and on. These are the things that we believe when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. But belief is not the end. Belief is not the end in and of itself because John says we believe that we might experience something. That we might receive life from Jesus. Jesus said that. John tells us. John 10.10. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And this is the offer of continual life, nourishment, a source to to survive and to make it, and it's made available to you and I. And John's call, this is where John's gospel is so unique, his call is this, is that whether we make the decision to believe in Jesus right here today, right here and now, or maybe we made that decision to believe in Jesus 50 years ago or more than that, John's gospel is written for the express purpose that we would continually grow in confidence as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, I think that that's gonna just be the fruit that God is gonna accomplish, that the Holy Spirit is gonna accomplish for us as a church and as individuals as we go through this gospel. We're gonna grow in confidence. We're gonna become more and more convinced that Jesus is the Christ. You know, I had such a cool experience personally a couple months ago just prepping prepping on, on, on a Wednesday for our Wednesday night, walk through the Bible. And I think we were in Deuteronomy. I'll have to look at my notes. But I was, I was studying Deuteronomy and I couldn't believe how much Jesus was in there. I was standing kind of at the back there just spending some time in prayer with the Lord and praying for the night. And I began to repent to the Lord. I said, Lord, I didn't know. I thought I knew. I thought I knew you were the Christ, the Son of God, but now, now I really see it. I've been walking with you all these years and now I really see it. That's what John wants us to have. We're gonna walk through this gospel and it's gonna get clearer and clearer and clearer. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Look, I encourage you, be in the word, be in John's gospel. Say, Jesus, that's amazing. You might think to yourself, 
boy, I put my faith in Jesus. I didn't know when I was putting my faith in Jesus, I was ascending to this height of faith. I didn't, I didn't know Jesus as the resurrection and the life. I didn't know Jesus, that the laws of nature bowed to Jesus. I didn't know that these witnesses said all these things about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You didn't know all that stuff. And yet the Spirit of God drew you to Jesus and you made a confession of faith in Him. Now God's going to just secure the foundation of that. He's going to bring all the sources around that. And your understanding of Jesus is going to grow. And you'll be convinced. You'll be convinced. What did John say? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are. These are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to 